And welcome back to Mixed Media Live. Look at that. That actually worked this time. Smooth. Good, good. Uh, five seconds. It's awesome to see uh, people filtering in. I think we're going to have a pretty awesome show uh, going forward today. Uh, but before all that, we've got to introduce the podcast. We've got to introduce ourselves. So my name is Irving. I'm a media entrepreneur. Um, and this is uh, Mixed Media. We're a uh, weekly podcast happening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Fridays every week uh, where we talk about art, whether it's philosophy of art or the business of art or reviewing art, or as it happens today, we're going to be interviewing a few people. So that's going to be pretty fun. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. That's what Mixed Media is. So uh, you guys can introduce yourselves. Uh, hey, I'm Nathan. I'm a 3D modeler and a game developer. And I'm Ben Costello. I'm a flutist, flautist, flute player, if you want to say that, and a media composer. All right, and we've got uh, two people uh, waiting to uh, talk to us uh, in their segment in the background, but I'll hold off on introducing them uh, for just a moment. Awesome, we've got a ton of people filtering. That's awesome to see. So, first of all, Happy New Year. Happy 2022. It's a whole new year for the podcast. It's the first stream. We've been gone for two weeks. It simultaneously sort of flew past and also felt like a long time since, since the last time that we've done this. I forgot to do something, though, before I started the stream. And I, I promise you this is not a, uh, I'm not just, I'm not being, uh, you know, bothersome about this. Or I'm not trying to convince you or anything like that. But I forgot to turn off the locals promotion <laughs> for, for the season, right? I had a locals promotion going for, like, most of December, basically. And I was supposed to turn it off, like, January 2nd. And Wasn't I forgot it originally to a Black Friday sale? Yes. Oh, actually, yes. <laughs> You're right. It was, now, now, I extended it because I wanted to encourage people, you know, give people time, encourage people to, to get onto our Locals page and support us. But <laughs> but I uh, actually did legitimately forget to turn it off. So I will try to remember the best I can uh, after the show to go turn it off when I post the link to the stream on uh, Locals. I will go ahead and turn it off uh, afterwards if I remember. So you've got about, I don't know, two hours to take advantage of uh, something like 20% off of our monthly, which gets you some awesome perks, including this live whiteboard over here on the right of the screen. There you go. This is a live whiteboard. Here, I'll draw on it. There you go. See, I can doodle. If you want to draw, if you're an artist of any kind, uh, for $3 a month, you get access to that live whiteboard. And also, if we can speak to your art in any way, shape, or form, I'm a you know filmmaker, I also can do photography, like brand stuff, uh, you know, a lot of media stuff I can review. Uh, ben obviously can review music, Nathan gaming and 3D models, I think, um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So if you want uh, to get featured in one of these uh, podcasts, just join our community at mixedmedia.locals.com. Um, you can also go to mixedmediapodcast.com, which has a link to everything. As you can see, I crossed out the normal link that's at the bottom there because we got our own domain, mixedmediapodcast.com. Dot com. So that's exciting. Yeah, am I missing anything? No, I think that's it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I guess Ben can take it away. So I guess today uh, I'm going to be kind of talking to uh, a co composing pair and talking about their piece and also, you know, chatting with them a little bit about who they are and what they do. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. All right. Um... 
I'm Leah, and I'm a math major, and that's 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 me. And oh, I'm a flute player. There we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, my name is Cat. I was a horn player in high school. Got into composing because I like it better instead of performing because performance is draining. And now I pretty much compose a bit of freelance and stuff like that. Cool. Much better introduction than mine. <laughs> so we've done for our audience members, you know, we've done some of these segments before where, um, you know, I found some people mostly on Reddit through, um, I think, our composer, the subreddit. I think I've maybe talked to some people from some other places. But yeah, so, you know, your, your piece uh, kind of stood out to me. But before we get in, into that, so I, yeah, you briefly gave me a little bit about your musical background. But, you know, you, you guys are both, so I don't really know much about you, but I did look at both of your um, your YouTube channels. And my goodness, you are both really prolific composers. I don't know how on earth you guys write so much so consistently and put it out there. So you guys are doing like a lot of really great stuff. It's a lot of it and is really consistently put out there, which is fantastic. And again, you kind of maybe briefly touched on that uh, in your very short intros to yourselves. But first off, like what what it, you know, what, how did you get into composition? And then how did you like get into composing in such a like prolific manner? Uh, okay, so I've, I'm being pointed at duo first by Kat. But um, I started composing when I was like 14 and I sucked at it. So I stopped for a while. And then when quarantine happened for COVID, um, I was like, well, now I need something to do while I'm at home forever. Um, so I got back into composing and became more serious about it. I got Sibelius and Note Performer, and I tried to actually be be better at it. And I started listening to more music, and same with like what Kat said, performing can be draining, and I just discovered that I like composing better than, than actually playing my instrument. So that's, that's how I got into it. As far as myself, right out of high school, I graduated in 2017, and I had a line into college with a horn scholarship i didn't want to do that so i turned it down and took like god how how many was it like three and a half gap years where i did nothing but self-practice self-study i listened to beyond amounts of music and i wrote beyond amounts of music as i'm currently on like piece 260 270 how many of those are symphonies yeah seven symphonies at this point a ballet a ballet and and these are like 45 minutes an hour long like pieces i mean yeah (laughs) the ballet is two hours long and it took me three years to write meanwhile i struggle with one like two minute song (laughs) yeah so like see i'm i'm not i don't really fall in the class i i i as a musician, I fall in the classical world, um, you know, instrumentalist, right? Um, and also the media world. But as a composer, I pretty much have only been involved in, um, you know, other than things I've written for myself, right? Mm-hmm. Only things that are in, like, in the media world. And in the media world, like, which that kind of, like, the ability to just write stuff and 
consistently writes stuff is a really great talent. It's maybe a little bit different in like the purely class, you know, classical world of art music. Yeah, that's that's incredible that you just can keep throwing all that stuff out there so consistently. Like, you know, think about media composition where that's what you do all day. It's like, well, I have to write, you know, for a film, you, you average like two minutes of music a day or TV, you average like eight minutes of music you have to write a day. Like, that's hard for people to do. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing with media composition as opposed to freelance or people who compose for themselves is that in media, you have to do it and it's a job. But when you compose for yourself, it's something you're doing for free. Like you just enjoy doing it because it's what you're good at or not good at. It doesn't matter as long as you enjoy it. But if you have that, you don't have those deadlines and that pressure from a studio to get music out to them. See, I, I don't know. I, I personally like deadlines because I've been, I was working today on this piece um, that I've mentioned on our podcast a couple of times that, you know, it was just for myself. And like, I've kind of been sitting on it since about July 4th last year. And like, I have like the main idea, mm-hmm. you know, like, but I, I, need, I need some pressure if I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. come out with something. And that's a fair point. Deadlines definitely help a lot of people move along. But for me, I've never worked well with deadlines. So <laughs> I found it easier to just kind of compose in my free time. And then I found out I was I knew how to do it the way I wanted to. So I just kind of ran from there. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So you're mostly self-taught then? Entirely. Uh, at, entirely for entirely. In composition? I also... Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so neither of you have like done any formal, you know, composition or even like have you done music theory? I've taken one music theory class. And in I've college. taken one music theory class in high school and the same one in college. So we each know what the major scale is. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, that's in and in, in everything else you know about theory you've just taught yourself. Yeah. That or from performance. Oh yeah. Orchestration too, are you just like score studying yes i do a lot of that i have a whole shelf of my bookshelf of just complete scores and orchestration books orchestration books i have rimsky korsakov's orchestration book and that other little one a little yeah a little orchestration book that's like mm. the orchestration dictionary or something like that uh Ad- samuel adler is kind of uh it's a great one if you if you don't have that but a very good orchestration book. Uh, Norman Lud- Ludwin's uh, his his books on orchestration and he, mm-hmm. all of his stuff are fantastic. For like having no formal education, you guys both have a really fantastic grasp of um, orchestration, form, you know, a whole bunch of really fundamental things. So that's <laughs> that's really fantastic that you guys have, you know, done that all on your own. Yeah, it's not. It's not easy, that's for sure. I mean, it, it took me a long time before I got where I was confident enough to say that I know what I want it to sound like and I know how to make it sound like that. But at this point, I don't give myself any credit because there's still so much to learn. But I do say I know what I want and I know how to do it. That's that's great. I mean, also, it's good to have some of that, that confidence in, in yourself and your, your own style. How how would you describe both of you? How, how would you describe your your like 
respective, you know, styles. If you um, can say that you have one. You, you get to go first. I get to go first? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'd say that I like to classify myself as far as music in the modern era of classical music. So that kind of Russian modernism sound is what I try to go for for a lot of things. Stravinsky but all the time? Stravinsky a lot of the time is my main influence. I, I like him quite a bit. But honestly, there's a bunch of stuff I do. I don't like to stick to just that. I've done romantic, pure classical, jazz, funk, all, anything that I can attempt. I think I've done at this point. And um, I don't know. I was influenced a lot by Cat to write music, so I, I kind of follow along the same, the same, I guess, influences and inspirations, but. I don't really know exactly where mine falls. I I just know that I listen to a lot of like modern and romantic composers, and I don't know if Bruckner. I was told to say. Well. <laughs> um, no, I like Liszt and Bruckner and Stravinsky. They're probably my three favorites. I don't know how active you guys are on the, um, you know, our comp- composer subreddit. You guys ever. I know that's where I found found this piece, but like, do you guys ever go on, like, look at what people post on there? Yeah, I'm on there all the time. I okay. I listen to a lot of what people post. Cat doesn't use Reddit, but yeah, you, so not. you found me on Reddit. That's that's yeah. I I definitely listen to a lot of the music on that subreddit. Do you do you feel like the general attitude on that that Reddit is that um, you know, your kind of music, which is like my impression of listening to like samples of both of your works that is kind of somewhere in between like romanticism and like 20th century modernism it's not really either of those things but do you feel like the attitude uh is very much against that kind of music there um i mean i've had luck when i've posted my stuff i i think my symphony which i have no idea where it falls in terms of style but it definitely i got i got like quite a bit of good feedback there. I haven't really had any negative feedback, so I would say that the the predominant like styles that are posted aren't that, but I don't think mm-hmm. that I don't at least from from my perspective, I don't see the subreddit having much against it, but it's definitely not what is talked about and posted most, if that helps. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm just I'm call, asking that because I've spent a lot of time on it this past week, and there's some people like every day someone's gonna post like, why does nobody write like Tchaikovsky, and they get you know annihilated by people. Uh, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not people write like Tchaikovsky. I think I remember that exact post. Yeah. Yeah, blurb says that he thinks yeah your style is a family of the modern era. Yes, that that's true. But I I I would say that yeah, and I think you'll get this if you listen to it. Um, you're you haven't abandoned large scale form or um, melody. Keep it simple, mm, right? No. You haven't you haven't abandoned those those sort of things. So, yeah, not really romantic, but like some romantic sensibilities, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's something I like to do. Is I like to put a bit of everything into my pieces, just so. There is a sense of familiarity, but also a sense of newness, and that every piece can stand on its own as something that's just a little bit of everything, if that makes sense. I know I just said that twice, but um, just 
something from today, yesterday, tomorrow, just whatever I can put in there. Yeah, I mean, you sound like a Mahler, right? Like a symphony must contain the whole world. Yes, exactly. I do like Mahler quite a bit, so. <laughs> I don't know nothing, but uh, I love Mahler. So <laughs> <laughs> that is the correct opinion. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ben said Ben basically. So I was roommates with Ben in uh, in college at Hopkins, which is the joke we were making at the top. Um, you know, you studied uh, Russian music, of course, and you were like, Russian music's cool, basically, uh, in 10,000 more words than that. And I was like, <laughs> okay, let me go explore. And then I found Mahler, and I kind of fell in love. So, Yeah, see, and, and I've said this on the show before, Mahler is great for like five minutes, and then I just can't <laughs> take it any longer. <laughs> if you, you have know. the patience, Mahler is great. I don't know about the patience. It's just too emotionally overwhelming. That's fair. also fair. Another interesting thing uh, that we'll get more into this in a second, uh, about, into the actual piece, um, but this is a, a collaborative piece. Yep. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because I've never coll- really collaborated with anyone on the composition side. Doing things in media music, you do, like, it's a collaborative thing, but it, you're, you're, I'm the composer. I, I don't know. I've never had an experience like that. So can you talk a little bit about about that process of how, like, <laughs> how, how did that work? Did someone, like, take the lead on certain things? Or, you know, someone have, like, a, an idea they wanted to start off with? Yeah, so for, like, a year and a half now, I've been saying we need to collab. We need to collab. So finally, um, while we were, like, seeing each other in person... I was like, okay, we're doing this now. And so she was like, I think I might have something we can start with. So she had the first like minute of it. Um, and then, and then she sent it to me and um, I like just did my sec- section based off of that. It's sort of like round robin you know, when you write like a, like a, like a section each, but we also like went back there and like edited each other's stuff and melded it together better and combined ideas. Um, were you going to say something? Yeah, it's just. Yeah, I basically had the first minute, minute and a half done. And I was like, I don't know where to go from this. Do you want to work on it? And she was like, yes, we've been needing to collab. And she added some stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. I know how to add on that. And we just, like she said, just built and edited each other's works. And it turned out to be however long it is and whatever it is now. That's that's interesting. I would not, like, my expectation if I'm collaborating with someone, I, I just imagine I would, like, it would be, pretty integrated you know wouldn't be like one section by one section so that's interesting that's how you went about it do you have any like disagreements any friction like no that's an absolutely terrible musical idea well i was gonna say we didn't really i mean we did do it like section like we each added more time to it but we were like edit like going back and editing everything and like rearranging stuff so i don't i don't think we really did it section by section but but to answer your your question, no, we I don't think we really had any disagreements. No, it was a pretty smooth process, honestly. <laughs> I mean, well, it took a couple of days too. We just passed back and forth a few times, and yeah, went pretty well. <laughs> but that also helps because we are she is my significant other, so we have a bit better communication than I think most people would. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. You see, like you know, a number of composition teams or songwriting teams, you know involve close relations you know like brothers like the gershwins or um uh, i'm struggling to remember the name of um 
the what's the name they have different last names but um the songwriters for um oh. like frozen um lopez oh. and and what uh anderson lopez i can't think of her names off the top of my head it's really bad i should know that or like the the dana brothers film composers you know people who are like married or siblings often uh you see kind of at composing or like songwriting together so you know that's i think it probably does make it easier if you have some kind of relation with with the, the person at least it seems that way from the professional world so yeah i mean i, I just imagine that like i would disagree with someone and but i wouldn't have voice my disagreement with them i would just be mad about it so <laughs> well, we we critique each other's works all the time so we're kind of used to how to talk about it and stuff we had a similar idea for the piece was going to go anyway, so I, yeah. it just it just it ended up being pretty smooth. I mean, it probably mm. didn't have to be that smoothly. There's definitely been pieces we've disagreed about, but that one mm. just <laughs> had a pretty good idea. For one of the games I've been working on, uh, I was involved in making some of the music with it, and it was weird because originally I was the only composer, and then we eventually added another composer which is an odd idea to do like mid-game, right? Uh, we did it anyways. <laughs> we needed some help. Um, and I ended up doing programming stuff anyways. But um, so the way we sort of like split it up was, I mean, maybe somewhat detrimental, but it ended up working out, I guess, because uh, essentially I wrote, uh, I guess, the, the basic part of a song, right? And I intentionally left space open in certain ranges and stuff like that in certain parts for my co-composer to write stuff in, right? Uh, I think the problem with that, though, is it comes off seeming very standard because I, I essentially followed a very standard format in order to create space in expected ways, if you get what I'm saying. So it's very repetitious in how it creates space and stuff like that. And uh, that's just so like, you know, I don't want I didn't want him uh, to have to conform to like a very specific like idea that I already had. So I think it ends up coming up maybe somewhat generic, but also has this weird two styled thing going on with it, which is interesting. And uh, as for criticism, I guess I, usually after we create a song, either myself or him, uh, the whole team, um, just like regardless of whether you're involved in music or not, just listens to it and then critiques it, right? And usually we have to go back and fix something. <laughs> or, you know, not, not everyone's going to like every, every part or whatever and, you know, make compromises or whatever. So I think uh, in that sense, it worked out nicely because nothing was ever taken too personal because we would do it anyways, right? We, <laughs> we have to criticize each other anyways by force, essentially, uh, as that's just the way things went. But yeah, I think it worked out all right. Yeah, so that's, you know, I think it's a really cool thing to be able to do. Maybe one day I'll, I'll do it with, with someone. But yeah, I don't know. So we'll see. We'll get, we'll get to the piece here in a second. Um, so... The title of, of this piece is The Judas Cradle. <laughs> so can you explain like what that means, what you're thinking of with this piece, what you're like what the idea is, if there it's, is one. <laughs> a lot of our music is quite dark if you yeah. saw the titles of a lot of Yeah, the, that, our that's music. that's pretty obvious. If you anyone <laughs> listening, go like look through definitely like l- listen to their music. They have like I said, a lot of it and it's all good. But yes, just even if you don't listen to it, just look through the titles, and yeah, you got some, like, some like less dark things, but a lot of like, pretty, pretty, yeah, dark titles at least. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the Judas Cradle, we finished the piece, and we're like, well, what, what do we, what do we call this? 
call this this monster. And so the things that we normally gravitate towards, mythology, um, like religious stories and monsters and, well, uh, torture. Cat's got a piece called Burned Alive. So we looked up at the Wikipedia page for torture devices or whatever, and we, we came across the, the Judas Cradle, which I'm not going to explain in detail, but if you see the the thumbnail for the the piece, it's it's like a like a spike that you get impaled by from behind, and that's. We'll leave it at that. Yep. <laughs> okay, so so something really pleasant. Oh yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yep. Okay, yeah. so I did not realize that this is about a, a, a torture device. Oh, okay. yeah. So I, I, I kind of assumed that you had looked it up and, and were asking ah. us to clarify. Oh, uh, no, no, sorry. I, <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, my impression of the piece based on the title and then just listening through it once is, was definitely kind of a, um, how do I want to say this? It kind of was in the land of, um, which is Sabbath music, sort of, <laughs> sort of, sort of. It's not like we're not quite at like Berlioz Symphony Fantastique, you know, and like some of the tropes of that. But I think the the the, the piece that really like came to my mind um, is Mussorgsky's Night on Bald Mountain. Someone commented that actually, and someone else commented um, on the Reddit post. They said it reminded them of a czar getting murdered. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, this piece isn't even like super dark. Like, Kat literally wrote a ballet about witches. <laughs> yeah, I have a ballet that was based off of something fantastic, and it's well, not based on inspired it's by, inspired by, and it's about witches. And... I mean, it's cool. It has it has some of that quality, and it's also like if you were looking at all on our, our Discord, I was writing in a, I wrote in the music page you know section although i meant to write it in the film section i was talking about how i was watching um uh andre rublov uh yesterday which russian you know which is sabbath and torture and yeah it's, <laughs> it, it, it's like an epic of, of all that um so it's also on my mind as well and i think your your piece fits in with that yeah okay so we can Turn to the piece now if you want, but uh, before we do, anything else you want to say about it? Anything else we should know? I don't think so. Um, do you have anything? Just um, brace yourself. Well, the beginning's not bad. The beginning is well, not. Well, none of it's bad. I it's mean, great if you like the kind of music. It's just, a little intense. If you get scared easily. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Should I should I play it? Yeah. Why don't you take it away, Irving?
you guys feel like that was a representative uh, select? Well, I don't know if you could hear it or not, but yeah, we listened to it on the on the YouTube one. Okay, do you feel like that was representative of the work? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Okay. So go check, go check out the the links for sure, though, if uh, you want to hear it in much better quality than probably what's being streamed at. <laughs> it uh, sounded great on the YouTube video. Oh, that surprises me. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so my, my thoughts on that. So I've already mentioned, you know, I think it's very well done. Um, overall, you know, great orchestration, um, good sense of form. And what you're, you do a good job is, of is uh, kind of integrating both melody and kind of a core idea. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty obvious, but, you know, your core idea is generally the, the tritone, but in particular you have, like, root, tritone, and then half step above it so like mm-hmm. root tritone and and perfect fifth so for our audience members those are um it's kind of a a uh interestingly dissonant interval so a tritone is probably the most dissonant interval in music and it is kind of has a very strong association in western music with the uh with satan but at the same time you also have that minor second which is the other most dissonant interval in you know um in western music uh equal tempered music so you're combining the most the two most distant intervals with each other and it's kind of like the kernel of what you're doing well that is clearly like the dominant idea of this piece um i have to say i'm i don't really mean i'm disappointed but you know i'm kind of disappointed though that there's no dseri in there (laughs) you you got this ballet (laughs) I mean, I don't know. You got this kind of satanic interval, right? We've got a piece about a tortured medieval torture device. Now we don't have a day of route. But you know, that's I, I, I'm kidding when I say I'm disappointed. But <laughs> I mean, you know, it would be so stereotypical if it were in there. Um, yeah, I think your your overall structure works well. Um, and again, you integrate like that main idea with. Um, really solid rhythmic idea that you maintain, and you have you know melodies that you build on top of that, and they're clearly identifiable. Like like I was saying earlier, you know that's that kind of like modern, but you haven't uh, you haven't abandoned like the romantic late romantic era, and you know there's there's a lot of variety in there too. Obviously, you know you need some of that to sustain a piece for what is it like almost twelve minutes? Um, yeah, but you know, you definitely have some of that in there. Um, I've come across plenty of pieces, especially on on Reddit, where people like write a you know ten minute thing, and I'm like, there's one thing that happened when you repeated it like for ten minutes. <laughs> there's so, one minute of content here. Didn't need to be. <laughs> so my my general thoughts, and I, I have I do have a number of them. So I'm gonna you know try and keep them them short. My first thought is like I said when, when I listened to this. Um, my mind immediately went to Night on ba- uh, Bald Mountain, mm-hmm. and yeah. in particular the uh, the original version of it. It's an important piece for me too. I don't know that I've actually spoken about this on on our show, but that's the piece, like the first piece of music of any kind that I can remember listening to. Not the original version, the Rimsky Korsakov kind of made up version of it. And yeah, like you know, when I was like three or four years old, I loved putting that on. And like running around and making up stories to it, so it is a very important piece to um, my my musical background. Even though I prefer the original now, 
And and for reference, that's a piece that is at least in its original version, um, literally again a witch's Sabbath on the eve of of Saint John's uh, feast day. Rimsky Korsakov kind of self made version of it. It ends with the church bells of Moscow ringing and the witches flee and there's peace, but it's not 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 what happens in the actual piece. My mind went to that, um, and I think it's a you know I, I think it's a helpful piece to think about like you know some of the things that I'm going to talk about um, and like how how we can you know how how things could be maybe a little bit more effective. So to me, the first thing that well, a couple of things. The first thing that, that stood out to me is not that you don't use percussion. Your percussion does not have a lot of variety in it. You know, you've got your, uh, I think, cam-tams, bass drum, and snare. And snares plays, like, a pretty effective role in it. But I think something like this, you know, there's a lot of drama you could add by having more percussion. I'm thinking, like, cymbals, triangles. It's going to, there's ways to use it that I think can really help build the climaxes that you want to build, um, add some more different kinds of, of color. So I, I don't know. I'd love to see some more percussion just in general in, in this piece. I, I, what you have is, is used effectively, but I think, and maybe you don't, you, you think that's like you want to stick with the colors which you have, which is, which is fine. To me, I think some more percussion colors could be really cool. And uh, if you listen to the Night on Bald Mountain, the original version, some fantastic percussion colors that really like enhance, you know, key moments. You don't have to use like all like five percussionists every measure, right? Um, save them. Percussion is like best saved for when it's most effective. But I think that would really help build some drama in, in some some key moments. The other big thing that, that stood out to me is there's a lot of octaves in this piece. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And you know. That's a, it's a it's a really it's a great effect, but and this kind of gets into another kind of point. Like I like you're pretty restrained with your colors that you use. You're also pretty restrained with range generally. There are some exceptions like that really like the really high E flat on the violins. <laughs> um, and I don't know like whether you're you know hope that something like that a piece like this gets performed one day or not. So generally like. You know, keeping the range restricted, you you make it available to like more players, you know, lo- lower levels, but you also kind of restrict the colors a little bit, and it, it can be an intentional choice. Like I, I wouldn't say, for instance, if you look at Night on Bald Mountain, Rimsky Korsakov is much more colorful in his interpretation of the main ideas than the original uh, Musorgsky's, um, and and it's a you know color choice. If you stick with a ton of octaves for a really long period of time, it can get a little bit tiring on on the ear. You know, it's it's a short enough piece, but I feel like there's some more opportunities in there. And and one of the things with along with that is that you use a lot of auxiliary instruments, right? Like not the for our audience members, not like you know the primary instruments would be like you know flute, oboe. Um, clarinet, bassoon, you know, trumpet, right? You're using a lot of like, so we call the auxiliary, like the instruments that are related to those main instruments, but have different ranges and different characteristics. So you have piccolo in there, you have English horn, contra bassoon, bass clarinet, no soprano clarinet, which, you know, uh, could maybe you could maybe 
that might have worked in there. Um, but a lot of ways that you use the auxiliary instruments, especially you know auxiliary woodwind instruments, I would say they tend to do a lot of doubling. And yeah, they're in octaves or in unison. And these instruments, they do that a lot um, in, in in real, you know, in, in not real music, just in, in music, right? In real life, they do that. But if you're going to bring them in, you know, you want to use their their colors and their characteristics a little bit. And I kind of felt like there are some spots where where, you know, you don't, really take full advantage of that so for instance like the very in- opening um when you have you know, the very opening notes for the flute and piccolo a good example so i gravitate to that because I'm a, I'm a flute and, and piccolo player myself and you have them playing uh in unison I, i'm gonna think about the piccolo specifically the flute part is fine but i look at the piccolo and i have nightmares looking at that personally now you can disagree with me because I know I know uh, Leia, but you're a, a piccolo player, so feel free to totally disagree with me. But I see that, and my brain jumps to flute, uh, Prokofiev's flute sonata, and the um, the triplet low E's, and to put it on piccolo, it's even worse. I'm like, oh geez, that's never going to speak. Mm. Um, so my like. As a, as a flute player first, and I might not recognize this just as a, as a composer, I look at that and I'm like, why not just take it up an octave and it will speak better and it, it'll be an octave higher than the flute. But, but what's the problem with that? You know, it just... Well, just quick uh, thing to say is I did do a lot of like playing around with the octaves of flute, the piccolo and stuff because as a piccolo player, I love playing high notes all the time. But it might might have just been note performer and the just the the specific sounds of the software. But when we brought it up, it kind of first of all with the high violin, those didn't those didn't play nicely together, and it didn't. It just sort of took something away when I would bring things up an octave, so we kind of just put them back down. So it, we like it was a conscious decision and and maybe not one that you'd agree with, um, but it just that's just what ended up happening. Yeah, I mean, I just use that as an example. Um, hmm. I mean, you, you totally do not have to agree with me, but that's the kind of thing that I know that if I, if I, if, it, if you put this piece in front of me, I'll play it, and then as soon as you you know, you walk off the stage, I'm gonna turn to the, the flute player and I'm gonna say, what on earth was that measure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you, or you yeah, play it off an octave, or you'd get your flute out and play it on flute yeah. instead. I mean, so you don't have to agree with me um, on, on that specific instance, but I think a lot of times, you know when you use these auxiliary instruments, there's a lot of, like, color opportunities mm-hmm. with them. If they're not just kind of in unison and octaves. Like, letting them do something that is them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that, that that could be really effective. You do not have to, like, if you listen to uh, Night on Bald Mountain, okay, you do not have to do anything nearly like what he does, where the piccolo is absolutely ridiculous uh and he's using the piccolo like and all, all the all the auxiliary instruments he's using them you know like as connective tissue and like phrase and so i'm seeing this large run kind of thing i'm not saying anything like that um but i think something to think about you know whether you can ex- extract more color from some of these auxiliary instruments if you're going to use them so again that that flute piccolo thing just uh, is a sample that stood out to me just 
personally, mm. but like, yeah, and you don't have to agree with that, but I think just in, in general, something to, to keep in mind. Mm. You do like your PNECMOs too. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and I, my, I, I wonder in, in real life, how, whether you want to bump that up a little bit, because I think the players are just naturally going to do it. Cause some of those, like, I can point to specific things like the flutes that measures measure 88 and 141. Are they really going to play that? Is that the it, like D and E flat or what part is that? Uh, I think that's like, just like. Yeah, so point. there's there's definitely, I think a lot of what, since we're just, I mean, we've never really had anything performed, a lot of what we do is working in Sibelius with Note Performer, mm. and so, obviously, you know, the, the version that's for Sibelius to read, you know, is going to have more extreme dynamics than, I think, what, you know, yeah. you might edit it to hand to a performer, but the point we're trying to get is, like, just be as quiet as possible here and be as loud as possible here. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we understand that that isn't always possible, you know, up to yeah. interpretation. Okay, yeah, so I, I, you know, just something to be careful about if you do start getting people to actually perform these, um, that they either will probably ignore that or mm-hmm. you won't hear it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Also, don't be, like, really don't be afraid of the high range of the piccolo. I mean, oh, I, I know. Think, uh, you should see some of the other like, music. I have very high pickle of music. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that would make some of it a little more menacing, personally. Okay. But that's my opinion as it as someone who plays a lot of piccolo. There are a few like notational things, um, and like ignoring ignoring like things that are just you know things you have to play around with in in Sibelius and you know make sure like layout like ignoring those things. Make sure, especially if you're going to, if you ever do get people to perform your music, make sure you indicate how many players are playing things. Like say, uh, you know, audio, right? Like, or, or in, in English, you know, English notation look like A2, right? If you want like both players to play something, you know, if you put, just put, if you, if you have like flute one and flute two on the same line and you don't indicate it, uh, it's not really clear whether both should be playing it or yeah. just flute one. I'm going to be completely honest. We normally do that very meticulously. We just kind of didn't with this piece. Um, okay. So if if it's ever, if it doesn't specifically say which instrument is playing, then it's it's whatever whoever is reading the sheet music because you know like one player per part and then for the winds at least. Um, and so if there's like flute one and two and it's in unison, then then it's supposed to be the ah two. We just okay. we just didn't didn't notate it in this specific piece because we were kind of not. Uh, we we didn't like work on uh, some pieces. You know, we work on the sheet music really hard to make it presentable. And this one, we just we just didn't. So okay. <laughs> well, also and probably a result too uh, uh, of of the same thing. But make sure you know it's it's always it's not necessary all the time. But it's always helpful to like indicate starting dynamics when an instrument comes in. Um, do we not do that? Sometimes. You do a lot, but there are other times where you don't, and it's not entirely oh. clear how loud it should be. So you know, it'll, it'll default to like the mezzo forte that that Sibelius just gives you. But in real life, players are going to probably wonder. I also just in general, I like measure numbers and rehearsal numbers. I I'm as in the media world, we like measure numbers every bar. You don't have to do that, but I I like that. So well, again, I I sent you a very unedited version of the sheet music if we were gonna like put this out someplace and we don't do a lot of editing to our orchestral music more the chamber music gets edited more because 
people might play that and people probably aren't going to play orchestral music but um it would get edited a lot more before being sent out someplace um like i just sent you the music because you asked to like see the instrumentation and stuff um yeah but like we are aware that it's not it's not up to the performance standards that was just a rough a rough copy that we were working with yeah, no, no, no worries. I just visited, you know, things I things I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the final thing I I want to say, and, and this is like for me, I think the hardest part of of com- composition um, is transitions between things. And mm-hmm. most of your transitions, I think, are are really great. And I know I mentioned right before we started the show that organic was going to be my word. Organic transitions are like what what music is about. And most, like generally, your transitions are are fantastic, and that's the area that I struggle the most with, as a composer. And it helps a little bit in like, media music, where like you don't have to worry so much sometimes because like, well, you know, scene changes and and or the mood changes suddenly, and you just have, you follow it, and nobody questions whether something like kind of ended abruptly, um, because it ended abruptly on the screen too. But like in, I don't know, I struggle a lot with trying to understand transitions i listen to a lot of music like how did that transition work probably like the biggest area things that i I study with in scores i would just say there there are two spots that kind of stood out to me and that's that kind of i don't want to say cascading because cascading sounds downward but kind of like the upward stepping cascading kind of transition back into your main idea like measure 145 to 147 and to me, that that feels kind of, I don't know. It felt kind of feels kind of abrupt, especially like just kind of slowly adding like each eighth note, adding one instrument. Again, you can totally disagree uh, with that, but that that feels kind of like to me, it feels a little bit abrupt. And the other one is uh, when you get into this kind of really soft section and like 175, the transition into that, you have like fortissimo. Or fortissimo, and then I think in live performance you probably would, you know, allow a pause before you go right into like the I think it's a flute solo, like mezzo piano. At least in in, in note performer, you know, there's no pause there. And that sounds really kind of like, you know, like a kind oh. of rupture there. Um, you know, sometimes if you're gonna have like a big dynamic contrast too, sometimes I think it, it's it's effective can be effective to kind of have like a pause. You know, you don't necessarily need to fade into it, but like breathe and then something quiet. Yeah, again, you you can feel free to disagree with that or not, but that would be something that I would. I don't know. I think to me, in real in live performance, if you have like a slight pause there, that would be really effective. Yeah, I was just gonna say I. So the specific transition you're talking about right now is one that I did, and I kind of did that on purpose because I was trying to not. Like, th- there were a bunch of pauses in the four measures before that, or the yeah four measures before that with all the the lower parts, and I was just trying to connect like the um, the the G sharps together, and plus the timpani was playing. I, I was just connecting it all together. I guess I know what you mean about having a pause. I was just trying to get away from the fact that the Pascal measures had a lot of pauses in it, and I didn't want to mm-hmm. do that too much. But I I a pause might also work there. I just didn't think about it. Like, well, I thought about it. I didn't think about putting one in. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's basically my thoughts on it. I think, you know, really fantastic overall. Um, Like I said, 
I love how you kind of you have a dominant idea and you, you kind of stick with that and you got, you know, really nice form on top of it. Um, like the dramatic structure works very well. Um, I love all the, uh, you know, Shellerandos. Thank you. Yeah, I think, again, you know, I like that you got some really strong melodies on top of it. You definitely, you know, whether you know that it's about a torture device or not, um, <laughs> it, the, you know, the idea of it, the, just the sentiment conveyed even by the title is absolutely felt in your piece. Yeah, so really, really awesome job overall. I would say, you know, if you're going to write something really large, like, like, thick kind of stuff like this and with octaves mm. um, and really strong rhythmic textures. So some pieces that I, I, I think of, at least that I was thinking of when I was listening to your piece and thinking about, like, you know, well, what, what can I say about this? Obviously, you know, we've talked about Night on Ball of Mountain, and obviously you guys are familiar with uh, Symphony Fantastique. Mm-hmm. Um, two or three things, I guess, that you, you two more familiar, maybe, maybe more familiar, and one of you probably have not heard of. The uh, third movement of both Shostakovich's Eighth Symphony and Ninth Symphony have some really interesting kind of mass, like rhythmic string textures to them that you might find interesting, especially the Ninth Symphony, the third movement of the Ninth Symphony. That's a really, it's a two and a half minute, absolute like masterpiece of writing. And another piece, again, that I'm going to guess you probably have not heard of, because this is a really obscure Russian composer, uh, 20th century guy, called, uh, his name is Evgeny Brusilovsky. You can find his, you can find him on YouTube. His fifth symphony is one of my favorite pieces of all time. And the first movement, I think, I don't know. I think there are things to take from that, too. Um, so those are, those are some pieces I, I think they may not exactly match the style of what you're like, you're, you know, the atmosphere of what you're going for, but I think they have some things, you know, that that you can you can consider um, in, in in like similar styled music to what what you did here. Mm-hmm. So the wow. the first piece that came to my mind when so I listened to your uh, one of your previous episodes, so I was I was trying to think if you asked a question like what it reminded us of the the i came up with an answer i was going to say um the scherzo in bruckner's ninth symphony is the one thing that came to my mind because it's got the rhythmic like rhythmic motif and the the thickness of the orchestra and it's kind of like up upbeat the whole time so that just one more thing to add to your list i don't hmm. know if do you agree or whatever <laughs> yeah that's. I think that's another thing you can we can you can put on that list of of, of similar ish things. I guess <laughs> we all have um, to check out that. Who was what? What was his name? Yevgeny Brusilovsky. Thank you. Yeah, his fifth symphony is really wonderful. Um, kind of hard to find. He's not someone you're gonna find on like Spotify or anything. So, I thought that was fantastic, fantastic writing, especially you know. For people who are kind of doing this on your own and without, you know, really any any formal, uh, even for, much formal music theory, uh, it's really remarkable to put something of this scale and quality together. So really awesome job. Keep up the great work. And I will keep uh, following both of your channels and listening to what you come up with. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. I will say my uneducated opinion, <laughs> which is uh, that it was a very white knuckling experience uh, uh, <laughs> listening to your music. If that makes any uh, difference to you from a layman, and it was it was pretty awesome. So uh, thank you. That was a pretty long interview, but it was really interesting. I gotta say, uh, chat chat was making me crack up the entire time. I gotta say, yeah, that was we were watching along too. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you so much for uh, joining us. Um, thank you. For thank you. Us. Yeah, we're yeah gonna of course. Head out since our segment's done, but um, we'll definitely we'll definitely keep up with this podcast. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. Thank you guys yeah. so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Everyone who's uh, listening, definitely check out both of their pages. For sure. All right. Have a have a great rest of your podcast. Yep. Thank you. Bye. 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 Yep. Bye.